Chapter Nineteen, Part Two of the Fairy Tales of Science by John Cargill Brogue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pluto's Kingdom Continued. Mount Etna in Sicily rises ten thousand eight hundred seventy-four feet above the level of the sea, of which the lower or bottom part, to the extent of some three thousand feet, consists of calcareous beds associated with lavas and clays. The remaining seven or eight thousand feet have been formed by successive eruptions from the volcano. The upper eleven hundred feet consist of the cone of the crater, which rises from an irregular plain about nine miles in its circumference. The great crater in the summit of this cone is perpetually emitting sulfurous vapors. One of the most remarkable volcanoes is that of Kilauea in the Sandwich Islands, which burns continually, and whose crater contains a sea of red-hot melted lava, sometimes several miles in diameter. The loftiest volcanoes known are those of Orizaba in Mexico and Antasanya and Aconcagua in South America, which are from three to five miles in height. Mount Harula in Mexico offers a curious illustration of volcanic action combined with extensive elevation. This vast mountain rises in the great plain of Malpies, which up to June 1759 was never suspected to be the site of a volcano, although the basaltic hills of the neighborhood clearly indicate that the district had at some very early period been the theatre of volcanic eruptions, which had filled up the original valleys. In the month of June, 1759, hollow murmurings began to be heard, speedily attended by earthquakes, which followed each other in rapid succession up to the month of September. The surface soil at last swelled up like a large bladder, three or four miles square. It finally burst open in various parts, flames issuing forth through the fissures, and burning fragments of rocks being thrown up high into the air. Six conical vents were thus formed in different parts of the area, of which the lowest was eight hundred feet high. Besides these, thousands of small cones or bosses arose, which cracking subsequently emitted aqueous and sulfurous vapors. These bosses are called in the country harnitos, or small ovens. Toward the close of the month of September, the vast mountain Harula was pushed up bodily in a few days by the subterranean force to an elevation of 1,682 feet, above what had been a plain up to the preceding month of June. The crater of Hurula threw out immense streams of basaltic lava, which continued to flow till February 1760, after which the district resumed its former stability, though it still remained far too hot to be habitable. In 1780, twenty years after the outburst, the heat of the Hornitos was still so great that a cigar could readily be lighted by plunging it two or three inches into one of the lateral cracks. When Humboldt visited Hurula in 1803, forty-three years after the eruption, he found around the base of the great cone a mass of matter of convex form about five hundred feet high near the cone, but sloping gradually as it receded from it. This mass, which covered to the extent of four square miles, was then still in a heated state and twenty-two years later, in 1825, Mr. Bullock found the cones still smoking. Previous to the outburst, two purling streams had watered the plain of Malpies, the Cutimbo, and the San Pedro. These two rivers ran into the crater, and lost themselves below the eastern limit of the plain, but reappeared afterwards on the western limit as hot springs. Among the productions of volcanoes emitted or ejected through their craters and vents, may be enumerated various gases, such as hydrochloric acid gas, 
carbonic acid, hydrosulfuric acid, and gases formed by the several combinations of sulfur with oxygen, aqueous vapor, lava, minerals, cinders, stones, sand, water, mud, and ashes, which latter probably consist simply of pulverized lava. The quantity of ashes discharged by volcanoes must be immense. During an eruption of Mount Cosiguiana, a volcano in the Gulf of Fonseca, on the shores of the Pacific, ashes fell as far as Truxillo, on the shores of the Gulf of Mexico. Also, on board a ship, at the time some 1,200 miles westward of the volcano, and four days after the eruption at Kingston in Jamaica, 700 miles eastward from it, having travelled there by an upper current of west wind at the rate of 170 miles a day. For about 30 miles to the south of this volcano, ashes covered the ground three yards and a half deep, and thousands of cattle, wild animals, and birds perished under them. One of the most curious productions of a volcano is mud the aqueous vapor emitted by the crater being condensed by the cold atmosphere heavy rains are produced which falling upon the volcanic dust on the sides of the mountain form a current of mud generally called aqueous lava which is more dreaded by those dwelling in the vicinity of a volcano than a stream of melted lava but after all as this muddy stream is not actually ejected from the crater but simply formed on the surface of volcanoes by the action of water upon the erupted matter the term mud volcano is not exactly applicable in such cases. However, in some volcanic districts, mud is occasionally found to ooze from the ground, and there are also, in different parts of the globe, real mud volcanoes, as, for instance, the mud volcano of Jokmali on the peninsula of Absheron in the Caspian Sea, that of Damak in the province of Samarang in the island of Java, the Salces of Gergenti in Sicily, and Sosueto in northern Italy, etc., etc. One of the most remarkable of this class is the one described by Humboldt. This is situated at Turbaco, near Cartagena, in New Granada, South America. It consists of some 15 or 20 cones, from 19 to 25 feet high, and measuring round the base, from 78 to 85 feet each. These cones, or volcancitos, as they are called in the language of the country, have a hollow on the top, measuring from fifteen to thirty inches in diameter and filled in the driest seasons with muddy water through which air bubbles are constantly escaping the temperature of the water is not higher than that of the surrounding atmosphere earthquakes are intimately connected with volcanoes they often precede volcanic eruptions and arise from the same cause namely from the movement of matter in the interior of the earth only that their action is much more formidable and destructive and the changes produced by them in the globe are much more varied and extensive. Landslips on the sides of mountains are most frequently attributable to them. They give rise to the formation of new lakes and cause old ones to disappear. Islands are swallowed up by them, and new ones arise in the sea as by magic. Parts of continents subside and sink, and others are elevated. The relative positions of sea and land are changed, and rivers quit their former courses and ancient beds, seeking other channels and forming new beds. The action or movement of earthquakes is threefold, vertical, horizontal, and gyratory or circular. The vertical movement proceeds from below upwards, and may be likened to the explosion of a mine in a stone quarry. It produces cracks and fissures in the earth's crust. In many instances the earth opens and closes rapidly. In others, portions of the crust slip down into the chasm and disappear forever. 
it was by a vertical earthquake movement that the city of messina in sicily was destroyed in the year seventeen eighty three these vertical movements are felt even at sea thus for instance during the celebrated earthquake at lisbon in seventeen fifty five many ships at considerable distances from the actual focus of the movement were violently shaken the concussion in one ship far out in the atlantic being so great that the men were tossed up into the air a foot and a half perpendicularly from the deck in the horizontal movement the shock is propagated in a linear direction producing undulations in the surface of the earth bearing some resemblance to the waves of the sea and the sight of which curious enough causes a swimming in the head like seasickness these undulatory shocks in a linear direction must of course be understood to move in waves of great breadth as well as length the horizontal earthquake movement which visited syria in eighteen thirty seven was felt in the line five hundred miles long by ninety miles wide in accordance with the general law in mechanics the undulations of horizontal earthquake movements finish by cracking the superficial soil and strata of the earth's crust in the earthquake which in eighteen eleven convulsed the district of new madrid south carolina the surface earth between new madrid and little prairie rose in great undulations to a considerable height till the earth waves burst when volumes of water and sand and masses of pit coal were hurled up through the crevices high into the air large lakes of twenty miles in extent were on this occasion formed in the course of a single hour while some of the ancient lakes of the district were drained and completely dried up as a general rule horizontal shocks proceeding onward unresisted are not considered to be very dangerous the most terrible horizontal earthquakes are those where the shocks proceeding from two different foci of action happen to cross each other a town standing on the ground at the point of intersection of the two waves has little chance indeed of escaping the crash and crush produced by their meeting in the circular or gyratory movement the earthquake action moves in a circuit sometimes very extensive in other but rare instances a very small compass in the latter case the movement proves generally most dangerous and destructive of which the earthquakes at quito in seventeen ninety seven and in calabria in seventeen eighty three afford convincing illustrations in cases of this description it has happened that solid walls have changed their place with the masonry perfectly undisturbed rows of trees straight and parallel have been inflected and more remarkable still entire fields with different sorts of grain growing in them have exchanged places and crops humboldt tells us that at riobamba south america destroyed by the terrific convulsion of seventeen ninety seven he was shown a place among the ruins where the whole furniture of one house had been carried bodily by the movement of the earthquake under the roof of another as an illustration of a circular movement upon an immense scale may be instanced the famous earthquake which destroyed lisbon in november seventeen fifty five and afforded the great pompal the opportunity of erecting those solid wooden frame stone buildings that have so gloriously withstood later shocks even up to the period so recent as november eighteen fifty five and november eighteen fifty eight the shock in this instance was felt in many parts of europe and on the north coast of africa as well as in north america and the west indies as has already been intimated earthquakes are generally attended with more or less extensive elevation or subsidence of land we will give here a few instances in illustration in the earthquake which visited jamaica in sixteen ninety two several large storehouses in the harbour of port royal 
subsided to a depth of between twenty-four and forty-eight feet under water, apparently without disturbing the masonry, as the buildings remained standing, with the tops of the chimneys erect above the water. A large tract of land around the town, about one thousand acres in extent, subsided in less than a minute, and was covered over by the waters of the sea. The fearful shock which destroyed Lima in Peru in 1746 submerged the entire coast near Callao, converting it into a bay of the sea. In the great earthquake of 1755, the new quay at Lisbon, then recently built of massive and solid marble, on which a vast number of people had collected for safety, sank suddenly down with its living load, and not one of the bodies ever rose to the surface again. And more extraordinary still, a number of boats and ships lying at anchor a little distance off the quay went suddenly down with the body of water beneath them as into a whirlpool, and not a fragment of the wrecks was ever after seen. Upon sounding the spot afterwards, it was ascertained to be some six hundred feet deep. Before the earthquake which visited Messina in 1783, the ground along the port of that city was perfectly level. After the shock it was found to slope considerably towards the sea the latter itself getting deeper and deeper as the distance from the shore increased, an indication that the sloping of the coast continued far under the water, and that accordingly the bottom of the sea must have sunk as well as the shore. During the same earthquake, many houses in the streets of the town of Terranova in Calabria were raised above their usual level. Others sank down in the ground. Near the town was a circular tower of solid masonry, Part of this tower remained undestroyed, but one side of it was lifted up by the action of the earthquake much above the other, the foundations of the upraised portion being laid bare to the view, though, strange to say, the divided walls were found to adhere throughout as firmly to each other, and to fit as closely as if they had been so constructed on purpose, and cemented together from the beginning. Towards the close of the last century a remarkable subsidence took place in North America, just above the falls of the Columbia River. In 1807, American travelers found here a forest of pines under water, standing erect in the body of the river. The most extensive elevation of land by earthquake is that which took place in 1822 on the coast of Chile, South America, in which an area of about 1,000 square miles was raised three, four, six, and seven feet above the former level. In 1819, a great subsidence of land took place at the mouth of the river Indus in Hindustan, the bed of the river sinking 18 feet. The sea rushing into the mouth of the Indus in a few hours converted a tract of land of some 2,000 square miles area into an inland sea. In the northwest of the subsided district, and running in a parallel direction with it, one of the level plains about this region, some 50 miles in length from east to west, and about sixteen miles wide from north to south, was uniformly raised ten feet above the level of the delta. We will now dismiss this part of the subject with a mere passing allusion to the well-known changes of level of the celebrated temple of Puzulio, near Naples, the rising and sinking of the land in Scandinavia, and the submarine forests on the shores of England, France, North America, etc., and will conclude this chapter with a few brief remarks about submarine volcanoes and extinct volcanoes. The subterranean fires, the source and cause of volcanic eruptions and earthquakes, act also on the beds which form the bottom of the sea. 
when the vents formed by volcanic action lie beneath the waters of the ocean they are called submarine volcanoes the existence and action of submarine volcanoes long suspected and conjectured has since the beginning of this century been clearly proved by the formation of new islands above the waters of the ocean the first well ascertained instance of the elevation of a new island by a submarine eruption occurred in eighteen eleven near st michael in the azores various eruptions had at different times taken place in the neighborhood during the latter half of eighteen ten several minor shocks had been felt but on the thirty first of january and first of february eighteen eleven the convulsion reached the highest point when sulphurous vapors were seen to rise out of the sea about two miles from the coast and spread in all directions jets of flame attended the rising of these vapors which was speedily followed by columns of volcanic ashes and other erupted materials in about eight days this eruption terminated when it was found that the bottom of the sea previously from three hundred to five hundred feet deep in this spot had been lifted up nearly to a level with the surface of the water about four months later on the thirteenth of june eighteen eleven another eruption took place about two miles and a half from the scene of the former which reached its greatest violence on the seventeenth of june columns of ashes and smoke being whirled up many hundred feet high above the sea at the close of the eruption an island became visible which gradually rose to a height of three hundred feet above the sea captain tillard of the sabrina visited the island which he found rather too hot to walk on and gave it the name of his vessel it presented at one end a conical hill and at the other a deep crater which sent forth jets of flames though it was under water at full tide the continued eruptions of hot stones sand and ashes from the crater raised the conical hill at the one side of the island eventually six hundred feet above the sea however in the last days of february eighteen twelve the entire island sank into the sea and disappeared without leaving a vestige behind in july eighteen eighteen violent spoutings and jettings of steam and water were observed at a spot some thirty miles to the southwest of sicily where the sea was known to be six hundred feet deep on the eighteenth of the month a small island made its appearance with a burning crater in the centre of it ejecting ashes cinders and thick volumes of smoke and covering the sea around with floating cinders and shoals of dead fishes the new island rose gradually to an elevation of nearly two hundred feet above the sea it measured about three miles round at the base the crater in its centre constituted a basin six hundred feet in diameter full of dingy red water boiling after having continued above the sea for nearly three months the island now generally known in the books by the name of graham island sank gradually back into the sea towards the end of october it was again nearly on a level with the surface of the water it disappeared eventually altogether leaving behind however a most dangerous reef of hard volcanic rock just eleven feet under water encompassed by shoals consisting of cinders and sand another volcanic island rose on the coast of iceland during the tremendous eruption of skaptar jokul in seventeen eighty three this island also which was called nyoi sank afterwards down again into the sea some of these volcanic islands are of a more permanent character as for instance the island of new kameni near santorum in the grecian archipelago which was raised up by a submarine volcanic eruption in seventeen o seven and continues to the present day above water there are many mountains whose summits and depressions though now covered with herbage and in some instances 
the sites of villages and cities, bear a close resemblance to the cones and craters of active volcanoes, and whose constituent rocks are decidedly volcanic. Geologists apply to such mountains the term extinct volcanoes, which, however, is intended to signify simply that no eruption has taken place from them for ages, but by no means implies that they will never be active again. Mount Vesuvius, which at some geological era had clearly been an active volcano, had slumbered for ages in a state of apparent extinction when the terrible eruption that buried Herculaneum and Pompeii under a sea of volcanic ashes revealed once more the true nature of the mountain. In certain localities are found vents which emit only gaseous exhalations and aqueous vapor. Such vents, or sulfataras as they are usually called, are properly looked upon in the light of half-extinct volcanoes, which may at any time suddenly burst forth again with all the terrific violence of true volcanic eruptions. Extinct volcanoes are found not only in volcanic regions, but also in places presenting, with the exception of hot wells and mineral springs, no traces of volcanic activity within historical periods. Among extinct volcanoes, those of central France have attracted most attention. In the districts of Auvergne, Valais, and Vavere, there are seen several hundred volcano-shaped conical hills, with more or less perfectly formed craters on their tops. These conical hills are called in the language of the country puis, which means mountain peaks. They are all of them dome-shaped, varying in height from 500 feet to 2,800 feet above the level of the plain, from which they rise in an irregular chain, 30 miles in length and 2 miles in breadth. The plain itself, some 45 miles long and 20 miles wide, is 1,200 feet above the level of the sea. All the cones are formed of volcanic materials, such as lava, sand, and cinders, and in many of them are found well-defined craters. The highest of these is called Puy de Dome. It is 4,000 feet above the level of the sea. It is composed entirely of volcanic materials, and has a regular crater, measuring 1,500 feet round and 300 feet deep. On the top of another of these remarkable cones, called the Puy de Perhu, there is a very deep extinct crater, a mile round, which is now closed in and covered with turf and grass. From the lower part of this conical hill a stream of lava has issued, which lies there now, rugged and black, covering the plain with volcanic cinders to the depth of about twenty feet. Similar extinct volcanoes are found in the south of Sicily, the neighborhood of Naples, Hungary, the lower provinces of the Rhine, and the north of Spain. In England, Scotland, and Ireland, although no such specimens of extinct volcanoes in the form of hills with cones and craters are found, yet rocks of volcanic origin abound, and there can be no doubt but that the remarkable basaltic rocks of Staffa and the Giant's Causeway are the productions of an extinct volcano. The absence of cones and craters and of streams of cooled lava issuing from the bases of the basaltic hills of the British Isles is owing simply to the circumstance that the eruptions of these volcanoes, in the period of their activity, took place under the bed of the ocean. End of chapter 19